Okay, welcome to the Musical Life with James Klein podcast. That's a catchy title, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm here. Well, I'm actually not here. We're virtually here together with Ron Peterson, who is an old uh, pal of mine from way back when. And by way back, I mean pretty freaking far back. <laughs> how far back? Why don't you explain uh, to everybody uh, how you know me and how, how long ago that was? That was a long time ago. <laughs> Longer than I want to admit, right. but uh, it. <laughs> The number starts with at least a two, I think. Uh, um, right, as far as number of years, for sure. Number of years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we met in college in the guitar program at Utah State University. Right, and you were a uh, class ahead of me, I think, or something? Is that right? Uh, it's hard to say. I was there for a long time. I was okay. one of... I was one of those music majors who took my time with gotcha. the program, gotcha. so to speak. <laughs> when did I, you? I took the the music uh, major gap year where I didn't start the music theory track my first year. Okay. So, okay. Um, so when did you but graduate? I think I was a few years ahead of you. Okay. Yeah. But when did you graduate? Uh, graduated in ninety. Ninety three. So yeah, that was about two years after me. So yeah, and uh, we didn't really. I mean, uh, we knew each other, were acquaintances. Didn't really hang out together. Didn't really play any music together either, as far as I can remember. Right? No. Um. I I think that uh, socially, mostly, I knew you from uh, being in bands with uh, like Pat Boyack right, and right. and yep. and playing at the fraternity house. Yep. Right. Um. And we were we were on sort of different paths within the program because you were very much the uh, classical guy. Yep, yep, for sure. Uh, yeah, I remember and that. And I was I was barely uh, outside of the rock realm, so kind of jazz, kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah, so I don't think we were even in any in any performing groups together, right? Because you were I, in like the electric guitar ensemble, and I was in the like the classical guitar yeah. ensemble. Uh, yeah. When I did do the acoustic ensembles, it was sort of the beginner level acoustic stuff because it was because uh, I was never really a uh, classical player beyond you know the sort of introductory learn the basics right. kind of stuff right very cool so I actually before I before I we get carried away talking about that too much I, I do have notes in front of me and if we did have video that's that's why I don't have video so you can't you can't tell if i'm lying but i do have some notes as far as a, a format or, or sort of a direction i want to uh, take it so anyway as far as the first thing i do is i talk about the state of what the podcast is and where we are right now with it this will be episode 11 of the podcast and i've been doing these weekly since i guess 11 weeks ago <laughs> um oh there you go yep yep and this one is actually kind of under the gun to get this out if i'm gonna uh maintain a regular friday release schedule so it's going to be released this afternoon so that's pretty exciting oh, great yep the, uh, this went live on itunes or i guess what, whatever it was on itunes and available starting in june i think and uh, it's, it's been uh, a pretty good time to put it together really uh, the state of the, or the the purpose of the podcast for me anyway is for me to uh, get out amongst the people both literally and metaphorically in our case to kind of uh talk to musicians, acquaintances of me, colleagues, uh, friends, and so on uh, about conversations I want to have. So it's kind of a ruse for me to, you know, as part of my midlife crisis to become a little more social <laughs> with, with people. And for you, it's a chance for you to talk about yourself for an hour and a half, two hours, or whatever you want. So so hopefully it's a win-win uh, for everybody. So yeah. let, me, let me give you a disclaimer, though, as far as the way I put these together. Even if I'm doing an interview way ahead of time, as is not the case today, I... Um, 
don't edit them so that the conversation will be unedited uh save for me to snip it at the beginning and end you know maybe raise the levels up a little bit so it's broadcast ready and put it out so say whatever you want to say but realize that that's <laughs> it's, that's, it's that's, going that's, out that's the deal uh, and by the way I, sh- I guess i should mention this thank you so much for the the theme music you provided us with this week so if you're listening to those of you out there in cyberland listening to this from the beginning uh ron put that whole theme music for this week together that's been kind of a fun um I don't know, extra extra bonus of putting this together. I started starting with episode three. I thought, well, you know, I'm talking to all these musicians. Maybe they can contribute something to create the theme music for that particular week. And so it's it's sort of in the spirit of like, you know how NPR has their All Things Considered. If you ever listen to yeah. NPR, maybe you're not liberal like that. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, but but uh, you know they they have that dun, 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 you know that and it right. it always comes with a different version. There's a different instrumental combination or a different style or or something like that. So I've been doing that. So yours would be the power pop iteration of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, what did I do last week? It was sort of a kids uh, like jungle gym sort of thing. And I've done, I did one that was sort of edge delay guitar sort of thing, couple of orchestral yeah. ones. So it's been fun to like, you know, just produce these little snippets, uh, in different styles using the fa- music of the fabulous Johann Sebastian Bach, the, uh, one of the great movements from his, uh, cantata 140, uh, or as, uh, many of my friends like to call it, whack it off, which is, a little irreverent, but <laughs> it, very funny. Uh, it's appropriate for a podcast yeah. where people just sit and talk for an hour and a half. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're just oh. going to talk about ourselves. I think that's kind of the definition. That's exactly. <laughs> that's that's very that's very profound, actually, when you think about it. Okay, so uh-huh. let's uh, let's get started. And uh, Ron, why don't you give me a, a snapshot of who you are right now, uh, elevator pitch or or what have you. And you can go into whatever detail you want about whatever you want. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, um, and also in kind of keeping with the I haven't seen you in a while, I'll give you a real quick rundown of, of where I've been and, and where how I got here. Okay, perfect. Um, obviously, right now I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, I came out here uh, originally in 2001. Okay. Um, after I got out of school, uh, I started teaching. And I was a private guitar instructor for several years where at in uh, Logan? uh in salt lake, in salt lake? Uh, okay. i worked uh i worked out of a couple of different music stores uh okay. wagstaff music in salt lake was the big one for oh, a long I, time. I remember them yeah and uh i did some teaching at riverton music yeah me too wow, and <laughs> yeah uh, which uh, which location were you uh, at? the the riverton. riverton was the west valley location about okay i was actually in riverton Oh, so you're way down south. Way, way out there. But I lived in Sandy at the time, so it oh, wasn't okay. too bad. Okay. Um, but uh, for a while, uh, teaching at Wagstaff, after a while of teaching at Wagstaff, I started working in the in the store, and I ended up kind of transitioning over to being uh, uh, a salesman in the music store, and that sort of pushed me on the path to the musical instruments industry, the MI, okay. uh, as those of us in the MI call it. MI, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's that's some new jargon for me to... <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's sort of industry-specific, but uh, it's, it's a common uh, sort of uh, nickname for it. Oh, yeah. So, so the problem I ran into with teaching was that uh, it, it's one of those jobs, as you well know, that if you're just private teaching... You have every the only way you really ever get more money is to work more. 
Right, and, exactly. And it's yeah. kind of, it's not open-ended as far as that goes, because if you've got high school students, there's a limited number of hours in a day that they're available for lessons. So you're right, kind of right. so hamstrung on that. So it's, right. it's a cool sort of gig, but it, it can get sort of, it feels like you can kind of get boxed in sometimes if you do it. Right, and actually, and literally boxed in because a lot you spend a lot of time in a pretty small spend room. Spend a lot of time in a small room, exactly. Um, and as teaching was winding down for me, I started working at the music store. When I moved to Los Angeles, I came out here for a couple of reasons. One of which was Wagstaffs was in the process of closing. Uh huh. Um, a victim of Guitar Center. I was just curious. Absolutely. About okay, well, gotcha. a victim of Guitar Center and a little bit of a victim of the owner's pride. Okay, right. Because <laughs> he thought the best way to compete with Guitar Center was not to stay the course and keep the cool vibe of his little independent Salt Lake music store that was really like the number one store in Salt Lake. Right, right. Um, as far as pro players and, and serious cats. But he decided he needed to go big and make a superstore. And it kind of, I wouldn't say that alone killed the, the business, but it made it a lot harder to, to keep on track as... MI has continually sort of declined over the years. Yeah, it declined and then also migrated. That my impression is migrated a lot to the internet. Yeah. Well, there's and there's a variety of factors that believe me, I've spent uh, the better part of the last 20 years in the MI industry and uh -huh. it's a variety of factors for why a lot of people will point to one and say this is it, but it's a combination of a bunch of stuff. You know, which which we can go into because it kind of relates to, especially yourself as an educator, right? Uh, but we'll save that for later. Yeah, well, I do um, think just uh, so I, I just put it here so I as a bookmark. I I remember a couple of days ago seeing an article in Huff Post about the death of the electric guitar. You might have seen that mm -hmm. uh, making the rounds. Oh yeah, yeah, and so just the the idea that um, maybe we're transitioning into a time where learning a musical instrument isn't necessarily something that uh, young people aspire to? Well, I think part of that comes from the fact that uh, parents are people our age now who came up when the guitar was still rebellious. Right. And now parents want their kids to play guitar, and it's not rebellious anymore. Right, yeah. Which yeah, exactly. is one of those many, 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 many factors. The other thing is, too, is that there's a lot of musical instruments out there, and, and people sell, you know, I don't know if you've, gone through this in your own life but i know i certainly have what they call gear acquisition syndrome oh for gas. sure for sure yeah and and you have a tarp file and then you buy another one and you go well you know what i don't need this and this one anymore or you decide you want to sell two of them to get a nicer one and right. there's a lot of right. used high quality instruments out there as well so that hurts the new instrument industry. right right so after uh, the music store closed down i moved to la Worked at another music store out here called West LA Music, which for readers of Guitar Player Magazine and Drum Magazines, they probably remember the ads where they had all the famous people pictured each week or each month in the in the magazine ads. So that was like uh, a big hub for, for like the, the hot shots in LA then? Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh yeah. And 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 the year that I worked there I met a lot of really, really cool players. Uh one time I had uh one of my coworkers brought up this piece of gear. I'm sorry, are you still there? I think I lost you. I'm still here. Can you? Oh yeah, you just you just broke up for a second. You're you're back now. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm running a complicated system here. So if I start 
crackling, let me know because I'm okay. running through my PA and or through my recording desk and into the thing. So okay. Um, but I met Stuart Copeland when a, a coworker of mine brought up this piece of gear called the Boomerang, which was a sampling playback. Sorry, I'm losing you again. We're I'm not sure what's. Are we? Uh, yeah, it's sort of like it's, it's shorting out or something. I don't know if it's uh, something a glitch in the connection or something like that. Yeah, it's 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 really kind of fuzzing out. Still there because I can't hear anything now. How about now? Is it any better? It is better now, so we'll cross our fingers. Okay, yeah, so, there may be some dust in my uh, mixer. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I'd, uh, I have I have my own microphone turned down, so I'll turn it up a little so I can hear if that happens again. Okay. Uh, so okay, so I so was anyway, talking you're about talking Stuart Copeland. Stuart and Copeland and this ridiculous piece of gear and. My coworker Charlie came up and he's like, "Hey, can you show this guy how this thing works?" And I'm like, "Oh man, no, I don't want to." And I'm kind of going oh, through that. So you have to do a product demo for Stuart Copeland. That's pretty. But cool. I didn't know it was Stuart Copeland. Oh really? So then I look up and there's Stuart Copeland standing there, <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, of course." <laughs> product. Uh, luckily, he didn't really want to demo it. He just had some questions about how it worked, and I kind of knew the answers. But that was that was pretty typical, like. That would happen to somebody in the store every day, stuff uh, like that. So, oh, that's cool. Um, but it was a terrible place to work. It was really, really horrible. <laughs> um, that was the only sort of benefit was that some pretty interesting people came through. Uh -huh. um, my favorite was Jason Faulkner, who, who's a big uh, power pop guitar player. Right now he's on tour with Beck. Okay. Uh, not Jeff Beck, but Beck. Right, right. The pop guy. And um, that was cool. But uh, so after a year there, I went to Alfred Publishing, uh -huh. which is uh, most educators and students have probably at least heard of Alfred from like Alfred's Basic Guitar Method, Alfred's Basic Piano Library. Um, yeah, they also sure. bought Warner's a number. Uh, still have a lot of the Warner Brothers. So they have the Suzuki stuff is all through Alfred now. Uh -huh. uh, so I worked there for quite a while, including a a quick jaunt of moving back to Salt Lake where other bad things happened. Marriage uh -huh. ended and I came back to LA. Uh -huh. I worked there again and then I worked at Daisy Rock Guitars. Now through that whole time, I was trying to play in bands and, and do my thing. I released three CDs that are all on iTunes under okay. my pseudonym, Ron Lynn. And when, when did those come out? Uh, I did the first one I recorded actually in Salt Lake before I left. It came out in 2000. Okay. Uh, the second one I released in 2010 after I'd been back in L.A. for the second time. And then the most recent one was just, uh, I can't remember if it was this year or the end of last year. Okay. Um, and, yeah, those are, again, Ron Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E. That's my stage name, if you will. Okay. Um, and so the what I'm doing now is writing the musical, which came from having a bunch of songs that I had written but never put on one of my albums uh -huh. because I felt like they went together and I didn't want to just take one and put it on, on an album. Um, and something kind of pulled me back from doing that whole thing as a like an album 
that all work together. Uh-huh. So I had a year where I was, uh, I had decided I was going to say yes to everything. Uh-huh. It was like a, a new resolution. It was shortly after I decided to quit drinking. And a friend of mine said, hey, will you, you come play guitar for this musical we're doing? It was uh, the last five years, which is a somewhat well-known newer musical. There was a movie a couple of years ago, uh-huh. with, uh, Anna Kendrick. And and I said, yeah, I'll do that. And he says, great. Uh, it's next Friday. <laughs> and I'm like, nothing oh. like a Nothing like a quick deadline, huh? Yeah, and and this is of course like years out of actual reading music, so uh-huh. uh, I had to barrel my way through as best I could. Use some of the old Mike Christiansen tricks of like when you've got four chords in a measure, get one and three. There you go. Don't yep. worry about two yep. and four. Yep. <laughs> uh, but but doing that show kind of triggered the thought that the songs that I had that were hanging around would work as the basic story of a musical. So that's. Uh-huh where that's been and that's been the last couple of years of my life is writing that and now getting into rehearsals and stuff so okay that's I mean, I a long version of where i am perfect so i, I want to uh just go into the the musical a bit more because i'm really interested in your uh, creative process with that but i'm uh, so you do, you're not in the music industry anymore as far as making a living though no okay no i uh and that goes back to how the industry is getting smaller. I know tons of people in the industry. I go to the NAM show and I probably see 20 or 30 people that I know. Uh-huh. Uh, and half of them are there looking for jobs now. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just everybody has downsized. And when uh, the last job I had in MI was a uh, part of Alfred Publishing was Daisy Rock Guitars, the girls guitar company. Right. And I was the, the, uh, the guy who dealt with the factories. Okay. To get the Daisy Rock guitars. So I would go to China. We'd look at the guitars. We'd collect the design, send them over. We'd do the specs. They'd send us samples. And it was like Christmas. We'd get like 30 guitars from China. <laughs> we'd play through them, decide which ones we liked, what colors we liked. Oh, that's really But cool. um, eventually that, that went away. And uh, I wasn't able to ever get back into the industry. I went through a couple of different jobs and then just kind of fell into sort of some part-time odd jobs that I've been doing now. Where I, uh, one of them is, uh, if you see me on Facebook, you probably know I do a lot of work with dogs. Yeah, yeah, dog uh, whisperer, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, that's, I that's awesome. walk dogs. I volunteer at a dog shelter. I do a lot of like uh, dog sitting, pet sitting, house uh-huh. sitting right. gigs. And, uh, and then I also I started uh, hosting pub trivia games and writing uh, quizzes for those. Cool. Uh, which is a strangely is a much bigger industry than you would think. <laughs> but I, so I'm those surprised. are both like those are both fun gigs and between the two of them it gives me enough to get by and keeps enough free time to work on artistic pursuits so it's kind cool. of a it's one of those couldn't i can't see it going on forever this way but it's a nice balance at the moment of allowing me to do my thing uh-huh that's great so um um with a musical, what are we talking about now as far as like the, the length and scope of this? I'm always interested when somebody's doing like a big project, and, and I'm assuming you'd want to talk about this, and that's what I'm the most interested in. But if you wanted to go back yeah. and talk about one of your albums or something, it's the same thing. So I'm always fascinated with that, you know, from conception through the actual execution of the idea, how long it takes and what that involves and, and how much you uh, devote your time and how you organize your time and so on. 
Yeah. Um, basically, and feel free to jump in at any point okay. if I start rambling. Oh or no, if you this, want this more is all on anything. This is just, all about you rambling. Remember, this is that's well, what the show is about. So. But, <laughs> It, it as the as the person who wrote it sometimes you start getting caught up and you get excited and you realize I just said the same thing four times so <laughs> feel free to like or if you want more information on something by okay. all means jump okay. in but um, like I said I had written a bunch of songs and they were written around 2003 when uh, my band had just broken up out here which was a band I was really proud of and I thought I mean everybody thinks they have what it takes to make it but. Right. When you've done it for a while, you realize when you do have those pieces, whether or not you get the lucky break, that's a whole other story right. that you can't control. But mm -hmm. but if you have if you get the break and you don't have the pieces, you're kind of you're you're SOL. But right. in our case, right. we had the pieces, we never got the break, and there were some other issues. But um, when the band broke up, my wife took advantage of that and said, "Let's go back to Utah," uh -huh. uh, and. We went back and, and it it sort of triggered a, a reality for me that I wasn't living the life I wanted to live um, and that I had let myself kind of go along with um, that life when in reality it was really it – was, it was kind of grading against my sort of creative – uh, mind. So, look, I would um, just interject for a second because I'm I'm just like a light's going off in my head, and it's like, wow, you're talking about me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going through a lot of the a lot of those same things uh, in my per, uh, personal I, and professional life right now, for sure. I think every creative person you'll ever meet who has that sort of level of dedication, uh, as I'm sure you do, and as I've met a lot of actors and musicians in Los Angeles. I mean, they're everywhere out here. And you can tell immediately when you talk to them whether they are in it to to do the thing or whether it's just like, I'll give it a shot and if it doesn't work out, I'll leave. Right. And right. those people who are in it to win it, it's 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 a different attitude and it really is hard to make a, a relationship or any kind of stable life work. And it's right because it's you're so obsessed with typical. this is the one thing, you know, that you're obsessed with. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because, uh, I mean, all of us creative types, we all want to be loved, too. But right. we come with extra. I don't want to baggage because I don't think it's baggage, but you, you, we come with like an extra drive that that's that some people don't uh, don't know how to deal with. You know, and so you see. That's why you see creative types like actors, especially. You always see them in the tabloids. They they end up getting together, and they probably think, "Well, he'll understand me." But then it doesn't work out right. because right. of whatever other reason. And it, it's a tough it's a tough thing for an artist, a creative artist, to to have like a normal life. And it's unfortunate, but I think it also contributes to to part of the process of creativity. And I think there's actually some people I know I've been in this boat myself actually kind of seek out that, that drama because they right, feel like right. maybe it fuels their fire or something. Right. It's it, in the other words, we're all sick, twisted people. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, on some just, level. No, no argument, no argument for me there for sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, so with the musical, uh, what are we talking about as far as like uh, it's it's a full length conventional musical, right? So you like yeah. how long are you talking as far as the staging? There's dialogue in it, and and, and there everything. is okay. all of that. Yeah. Okay. I I had those songs that I wrote during that transition, and and at the time I probably had a, about a full album's worth, you know, forty five to sixty minutes of music, um, and uh, and going through the process of playing the other musical, I was like, oh, well, my story's in here. So I ended up, because power pop as a style has really short songs. You know, it's uh -huh. like three and a half minutes is kind of the max. If you go past that, it's it's unheard of. Right. right. Um, and so there are actually 20 songs in this show, 21. Um, it's about... With an intermission, we're hoping it's going to come in under two hours. That's really okay. what we're aiming for. Uh, 45 minutes one act, 45 or 50 minutes the other act, a little intermission in the middle. Okay. Uh, and as long as everything goes to plan, that's the idea. And as I said, there's like 21 songs. There's like nine songs in act one and like 11 or 12 in act two. Okay. But they move. it moves pretty quick. There's not a lot of dialogue, just enough to kind of fill in the blanks that aren't in the songs because the songs really – the way they were written, they told the story. Okay, and how big is uh, the cast? It's just six people. Okay. And uh, I sort of, by default, am playing myself. It's okay. an autobiographical <laughs> musical about my story of coming, going to L.A., going back to Utah, coming back to L.A. Okay. Um, so in the, in the first act, you've got the two guys I was in a band with and my wife. In the second act, you've got like a good friend I had out here who... Um, and, and just like, a, I don't want to say just a random person cause it's based on about five or six different women that I have met and known since I've been out here uh -huh. the second uh -huh. time. Um, uh, and that's the story is obviously that. And then the second act is, is sort of me getting over my weirdness and trying to kind of live the normal life that a creative type would have, which isn't the same as a normal life a regular person would have. Okay. That's fantastic. So, uh, and the one, the one sort of weird element there is that throughout the entire show, I have a guitar and I play with the band. Um, okay. Even, even though, like, from the audience point of view, it's supposed to be like the guitar is an imaginary crutch that that my character sort of carries with him. So the other actors don't look at me and see a guitar. If that makes sense, it's okay, kind of so. A, it's like the guitar is your imaginary friend. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, and the band. Cool. Okay, and the band is my imaginary friend too. That's the band I hear in my head, kind of a thing. Okay, so. great. That's that's that sounds really cool. So, um, as far as the songs themselves, um, you said you had a couple of songs like sort of stockpiled from another project you did before, and mm -hmm. um, then the other songs sort of came to you as a, uh, as ideas to tie the whole thing together and to make it cohesive or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, my que actually, my question is, as far as organization, like if you have an idea for a song, how do you capture that idea to make sure it doesn't fly away? Or do you just not worry about it, and if it comes back, then it's a good enough idea to, to keep? Well, as a my creative process, as a, just as a songwriter without an agenda, if I just like inspired, I, I will usually write down uh, lyrics and chords as I go, because to me, when I'm when I'm writing a song, it almost always kind of comes together all at once. Uh -huh. 
Um, I am not the studious, I'm going to sit down and write a song today kind of person. Uh, I get inspired, and when I get inspired, it kind of flows out, uh, which isn't always productive, but it is, it happens. So but a lot of times, a, I in a, the past, I didn't used to write anything down, or I'd maybe jot some chords. Now I use my iPhone to record everything I okay, do. Okay, yeah, that was, that was my next question. I was just going to ask you if you just record like an audio snippet of you playing, or you write some notes. Exactly. And, okay. My, my, my iPhone's full of uh, audio notes from multiple projects and sources and and all kinds of stuff because I've got multiple musicals now that I'm planning going forward and so uh-huh. little bits and pieces are in there and organizing it is something I probably should do and save it but I haven't uh-huh. so when you organize uh, let's say you, I mean uh, you have a, a lot of these things that are ideas that are captured but when you try to put them into a cohesive full unit like the musical, do you then have another kind of uh, organizational process that allows you to capture everything and make sure everything's in place and make sure you don't forget any details? Yeah, I live in both the analog world and the digital world. I write okay. everything down. I, I have I love notebooks. I have multitudes of notebooks. There's a stack of notebooks on my bed right now that I moved to make room for my computer <laughs> of, of just random stuff. Like when I used to write trivia, I wrote it all down on paper before I put it into the computer. Uh-huh. And I have those notebooks. I have a separate legal pad for each uh, show idea that I have. Basically, what once I get a few songs, then I kind of get an idea of what the story is, and then I'll do an outline. Okay. And, and for this musical... Um, you know, I had the outline, and then I just started going in and hitting scenes, and then kind of wrote everything I could think of, and then whittled it down, made sure it fit with the songs. I'd go in and sometimes change some lyrics. One of the one of the aspects of this that was a weird process for me is when I've written a song, and in when you write lyrics in a rock pop style, you're allowed some vagaries. You can you can say some things that don't really make sense as long uh-huh. as they sound good. Uh-huh. But in a musical, like kind of every word counts, and it has to be a part of the story. Uh-huh. So I had to go through and sort of self-edit some of those songs and say, this is a great phrase, but it doesn't fit the story, and I'd have to gotcha. come up with something else. Um, kind of making it tie in, and then having the songs first. I don't know if that's necessarily the way anybody else works. I haven't really studied other sort of guys who write musicals, uh-huh. but I had the songs first in this case. And for me as a songwriter, that's starting with the songs to me makes the most sense. So uh-huh. um, I would then go back and see if they fit in the story. And there's some songs that I thought were great songs wanted in the musical, but they really didn't fit the story or they were redundant and get dropped because the one thing that steve martin said this on a late night talk show one time he goes the thing you learn when you write your first musical is that you just have to get used to cutting out all the songs you love (laughs) and and it's true because like you you may have three songs that kind of say the same thing and you go well you can pick one and two of them get left behind and it's 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 accurate um yeah that's a real stuff written down and then i have spreadsheets and uh i'm like I said, I'm digital and analog. I have stuff saved on my computer, spreadsheets and and um, checklists, and 
I just try to write everything down. I'm not very good at organizing it, but I'm really good at keeping it. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> do you have a, do you have a different uh, procedure you follow now that you've get, gotten to the point where you're talking about rehearsals and staging and finding a venue and all the all the other details that go into it that aren't necessarily on the uh, the creative side per se? Yeah, that's not been as much fun. But right. uh, <laughs> I have a I have a partner, good friend of mine who is a a, a film guy. And, and he, he really wanted to be a part of this. So he's, he's the director and I'm the musical director Okay. and we would just sit and talk about stuff. And then I would kind of put it down into a spreadsheet. Like I said, I have a huge spreadsheet that encompasses money, uh, the budget, uh, costumes, all of those sort of details that aren't really creative, but they're right. But they're, it's what a producer would do. Right. They're essential. Um, and it's, that's all in a spreadsheet. Um, finding the venue, all those kind of things. That's just, I mean, it's Los Angeles. It's pretty easy. You just go on the web and you go, uh, theaters, in uh-huh. the San Fernando Valley and you get a list. There's a page of like 60 of them and you just go through and find the ones that are in your price range and uh-huh. start calling and making arrangements. And, uh-huh. uh, casting was another one. This was something I learned that I wasn't expecting a couple of things. Well, there's a lot of things I wasn't expecting, but the first one was you can't cast your friends in your musical. Well, that's good advice. Um, <laughs> it it's uh, it's unfortunate because being in Los Angeles and being relatively poor in Los Angeles, you end up meeting and hanging out with all the people who are in the same boat as you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but but you also find that if you bring your friends in, then they're doing you a favor. And then the expectation of how much they're willing to put in changes. Uh, and so the first time we tried to do this, we were going to try to do this in February. Uh-huh. And it became such a nightmare that we had to postpone. And we ended up recasting the whole show because it was mostly people I knew or friends of friends. Uh-huh. And it, scheduling and getting people to do the work. And so I, I found a, a website called Backstage, which is nationwide, but really focuses mainly on the big theater cities, you know, New York, Chicago, LA, San Francisco. Uh-huh. And, and you can post uh, classified ads on there. And I found all the people for my show through classifieds. And because it's an independent show, I'm self-financing with some help from a couple of uh, generous donors. There's also rich people in LA, which is a good thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh, nobody's getting paid. I'm paying the band because I wanted to get quality musicians so I didn't have to work with them as much. I could just give them charts uh-huh. and do a couple of rehearsals. Uh-huh. Uh, but as far as the actors go, nobody's getting paid. And I don't know okay. if I should have even said that. Maybe maybe that would have been a good thing to self-edit. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully it all leads to something and everybody gets a copy of the video and, and all of that stuff. But finding the actors who want to do it for whatever reason, maybe they're people who are just starting out and just want to get some credits. Yeah, get something in their portfolio who, or whatever. Yeah, or people who used to be more into it now, they're doing other jobs and they just kind of miss the process. Gotcha. Um, you know, uh, people who want to do it, who aren't doing you a favor. Right. Is I mean, they're doing me a favor, but it's not, It's they're not thinking of it that way. Is is right. so much more productive. I know it's right. kind of different with bands. You can kind of be in bands with your friends because it's it's a, a a different dynamic, um, right. and uh, and that. But yeah, that's the other thing I learned about actors, which I thought was kind of funny, um, is even if they can't read music, they want the music. 
which just, I wasn't expecting. They just want the lyrics, or they want um, the sheet music. No, they want the sheet music just to, to sing with. Even if they're sight, if they're not really sight readers, they're like still they want the sheet music. And I think some of it is just like to make sure they can see where they're going. Oh, I okay. go up on that note, right? Not necessarily because they're sight reading it, but because it's like a guidepost, right? Because um, I'm used to dealing with musicians where you know rock musicians you give them a recording and say i'll see you next week and everybody comes in and they just sat down learned the recording right learned the song from the recording and i thought with singing should be easy right everybody does people like karaoke okay you just learn it from the song (laughs) all the actors were like well you have music and i'm like really okay (laughs) and so that was one of the things that between from the last time we did it to this time i didn't i did full vocal scores for the entire show Uh uh-huh uh, and that was a process, as as anybody who's ever done, uh, you know, made sheet music knows that's yeah. that can be an ordeal. But it's done. So, yeah. so when when's this uh, premiere? When? September 29th and thirtieth. Oh, cool. Okay. And it's uh, we're doing it in North Hollywood, and we are also hoping to do either a Facebook Live or some other type of streaming format okay. for at least one of the nights so that people outside of LA can actually see it if they want to. And you're going to film it as well? Or that would be part yeah. of the Facebook? going to film it. Uh, there is a possibility that we are going to do like a multi-camera, high-quality audio uh-huh. shoot. That's that's a little bit up in the air right now, but I'm talking to a guy who is a uh, an audio engineer out here who works with like real people, uh-huh. not like I'm an audio engineer because I have a recording studio in my bedroom. Right. But um, <laughs> although I did two of my three albums on that same little computer studio, so it, uh-huh. it's technically it's real. But um, well, it's amazing so yeah, we, what you can do now compared to too. 25 years ago. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's it's one of the many aspects that sort of changed the dynamic of the music industry is is being able to record in your house, you right. know, right? Being able to record and and sort of uh, being able to have the potential for worldwide distribution. Not that anybody would listen necessarily, but well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, could like, listen. The uh, the the album I did in Salt Lake I did with my friend in in uh, he had a full recording studio. He had like a an actual you know, three room studio uh-huh. uh, down in the northwest Salt Lake, out where all the TV stations are and stuff. He uh-huh. had a room out there, and we did that on ADATS. And then the second album, I did uh, half of it. I did in a in a rehearsal studio that I rented and I shared with a, a friend of mine's band. Uh-huh. Um, and and then like the the entire mixing and vocal process, I wasn't in that studio anymore, and I did it out of my apartment. Yeah, just just in the box. And it's and all three albums are on iTunes now. So I mean, it's like the like you said, you really anybody can do it now. Once you get it up there, if it's not good, you know, that's a different story. But anybody can do it. You know? Yep. It's yeah. It's it's just available it to to everybody. L- literally costs like a hundred dollars on CD Baby to put your stuff on there, right, and they'll right. put it on iTunes. Yep. It's on Spotify. It's it's on streaming services I've never heard of. Yep. Um. And all it takes is a recording and a hundred dollars. So, it's it's a lot different than the old days. That's for sure. Yeah. What I'm amazed at is uh, how how quickly my stuff has gotten onto like pirate sites, like even stuff I did on 
on YouTube. You put it on YouTube. I didn't even do an official recording, but you can get an MP3 of it from Russia or something, and you know, thousands of people <laughs> downloaded it. I, I wonder about that myself. I've never looked for my stuff on anything like that, and I figure. Well, I think if you do, you might be surprised how how uh, how many people are pirating it. it. <laughs> my my first album, I had a physical CD release, uh-huh. and the second two, I didn't. It's just strictly digital. Yeah. But I a couple of times I saw my CD show up on eBay, and I'm like, how is that happening? Because <laughs> like. I still have most of them. Well, not anymore. It's been long enough now. I've gotten rid of most of them. But like, I I've, I hardly sold any of them. I gave most of them to friends. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, you know, if you're a friend of mine and you see the CD and you go, I'll sell this on eBay. It's like, really? Come on, man. Yeah. It's, but that's, who knows? That's kind of funny. They end up places. It's weird. I'm always uh, just, uh, as I get older, fascinated by the fact that I've lived through so many different uh, format changes. You know, I was growing up, yeah. it was all about the LPs, some cool people had eight tracks in their car, then it was cassettes, then CDs, then an MP3 player. And now, you know, there's no, um, the, the first uh, CD I did uh, that was all original was like a big dream of mine to do about four years ago. So I had to press CDs and that was just a, a huge mistake. <laughs> mm. I, sh- I should have just left, I should have just left it up, you know, digitally and, uh, you know, been done with it. So. There's something to be said still for a physical copy, though, but it's not it's not the main or best way to distribute yep. music anymore. Yeah, for so, sure. For sure. You know, because, I mean, the first thing people would ask me is, oh, is it on Spotify? And right, I'm like, right. Okay. But that's that's that industry's changed to where, like, people don't buy the music anymore and artists make their money from concerts now. Right, right. Exactly. Which is why concert tickets are now $100 for the cheap concerts. But right. <laughs> So it goes, but it's nice to have a CD when somebody says, you know, when you say I've released, I've released three CDs and they go, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's on the computer. Do you want to see a picture? You know, right, it's not the right. same as going, it's nice to have a CD. Have on the other physical, hand, that physical thing you can hold, you know, yeah. on the other hand, you hand them a physical CD and they go, what do I do with that? My computer <laughs> exactly. doesn't have a CDR drive exactly. anymore. Exactly. You can't shove it into a yeah. computer. Like a lot of the new cars don't even have. CD yeah. A players. lot of cars don't even do it anymore. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. So I'm going to go. I'm showing this to not that anybody can see this, but we're on going to be on section three now, unless you have anything more to say about about that. But uh, yeah, I want you to keep me posted. I'm sure you will on Facebook about the progress of this, because that's really, really cool that you're doing that project. And it's very ambitious. And actually just describing it to me really resonates resonated with me uh, quite a bit uh, the the concept you have. So yeah, it's been a big process for sure. But but rewarding. Yeah, for sure. So give me uh, now a snapshot of a typical day in the life of Ron Peterson. So what time you wake up typically? It depends on what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, I have, because I have two part-time jobs instead of one full-time job, mm-hmm. uh, my hours can be scattered throughout the day. But I usually get up 7, 7.30, sometimes later if I can. I go okay. walk some dogs. Uh, I have some daily dog walks that I do every day or most every day. Okay. Um, I, I volunteered an animal shelter, which is how I fell into the business of walking dogs. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'll spend some time there a couple of times a week. Uh, then I come back in the afternoon. I kind of, depending on what I've got going on, uh, if I have to do trivia that night, I probably take a nap. Okay. Because the trivia th- things start at like eight or nine o'clock, and it goes in like into the wee hours or or something. Uh, like it's usually two hours, so it's like okay. oh, you know, bad. like seven or eight to ten or eleven. 
Okay. Going trivia. Okay. But it keeps it means like you're pushing you're working at first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Right. So that afternoon time I actually get some sleep. Uh somewhere in that process I will usually try to practice. Okay. Uh, but honestly, uh I always hate to admit this, especially to a doctor who is a <laughs> professor, but I really only practice when I have to. Um, oh, okay. Well that's <laughs> The uh, well, I mean, the the shift for me quite a while ago went from being a guitarist to being more of a composer. Okay, and and so for me now, the guitar is a little more of a means to an end. Although right, more of a, I'll more of a tool tool for yeah. different colors rather than uh, like the central part of your identity. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of unfortunate because I'll pick up the guitar sometimes and and think of a song I used to play and I go, ah, oh, I can't play this anymore. <laughs> oh man. That kind of sucks, but but also because of the the way I write and that I spend a lot of time recording, so I keep my skills up enough to be able to record. So there's uh, that, you know, especially like if somebody throws a Bach cantata at you at the last minute and says, <laughs> "Hey, can you record something?" and you go, "Oh crap, let's see, do I know how to do this?" And then fortunately, of course, you know of course, how to you do knew, it, so. know how to do that, of course. So yeah. um, you play other instruments besides guitar? Uh, not. Really, okay. I've, I've gotten very proficient at uh, programming drums, which okay. started back in college uh, when we started working in. At the time, we called it the synth lab or the synthesizer right, yeah, lab, yeah. which eventually, you know, evolved into like an entire program. But at right. the start, it was like a Yamaha DX7. Um, yeah, DX7 and an old uh, Macintosh from man, black, I, black and I, white I, screen or whatever. I remember. Before I was in the class, my, my friend was in there, and I went in there, and we were using Mark of the Unicorn 1.2, <laughs> which was just a sequencer. Yeah. And it was, it wasn't, I don't even think it really had much of a graphic interface. And it was it's, more, it's like about a the list. It was the yeah. cutting edge at the time. Well, there was a hardware sequencer, too, like a Yamaha. Uh, I don't remember what the code designation was. Where it was like it looked like a drum machine, but it was actually just the sequence. Oh, I remember. The, I, I had a the first um, thing I used. I had a Yamaha QY10. That's that was, that's the yeah. Yeah, that's like the, the size of the size of a paperback book, and it, it allowed you mm -hmm. to sequence, and it had all sorts of uh, uh, preset patterns for different musical styles and mm -hmm. and everything. But I just couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around all those tiny buttons. <laughs> well, it was kind of a nightmare, although, yeah. to be honest with you, the drum machine that I still use quite frequently to input drum patterns was one of the ones that came, it's not the actual unit, but the same unit that came out of the early days in there. It's a Roland R5, okay. which is really old school. It's like 12-bit, <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh, it's old school. The, the sounds are kind of useless now because they're, they're not old enough to be cool. Like right, vintage <laughs> stuff, but they're not new enough to actually sound good. Oh, so funny. I just use it for MIDI input. But <laughs> hey, once you've got something that works, yeah, if you've got a tool that works, you got to stick with it for sure. Stick with it. So um, let me ask you about uh, coffee. You, you drink coffee, coffee drinker? I, as a matter of fact, I've, I'm just working my way into finding a way to do uh, iced coffees at home. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Uh, I, I gave up sugar a couple of weeks ago. Really? How's uh -huh. that been going? I wasn't a huge like I I've always used uh, artificial sweeteners in my coffee. Okay. Uh, just because my teeth, uh -huh. like I I've never I don't have strong teeth and so I just thought that much sugar going into my mouth every day because I drink a lot of coffee. Um. But yeah, I gave up gave up sugar, so I went and actually found uh, sugar free 
chocolate milk mix that I've been putting into my coffee to make iced coffee. Because oh. I had to give up. I would buy those Starbucks cans, you know, like the oh, mocha right. flavor right, and right, stuff. Right, right. Like in the afternoon, it's so hot here now. Um, but yes, I I love coffee. And as a matter of fact, I was going to start. I never got around to this, but I got the supplies for it. I was going to start um, roasting my own beans because when I quit drinking, I was a I was making beer. And I thought, well, that's one hobby, obviously, that I'm not going to want to do if I don't drink anymore. Right. So I thought about roasting my own beans, but I never quite – it's like on the back burner kind of a thing. But I actually went and found one of those old school popcorn poppers that has the crank and turns the, oh, cool. <laughs> the thing at the bottom so you can roast them. Yeah, that's, that's the uh, dream yeah. for me, roast my own yeah. beans. Someday, someday. Someday. It's <laughs> – it's it's a little more of a process than I thought it was going to be, so it it sort of fell to the wayside. Uh, my my favorite coffee I've ever had in my life, and I love when somebody asks about coffee because I can tell. I went to the Big Island of Hawaii, uh-huh. and we stayed at this little uh, hotel. They didn't have phones or TVs in the rooms, uh, and it was and you're in Hawaii. I mean, who cares about a phone and a TV, right? right? Yeah. But at the at the the diner, the restaurant there, they had this coffee that was just unbelievable. And I called them once or twice and they said, oh, we just get it from a local place. And they wouldn't tell me where they got it. I've never experienced coffee like that. Uh-huh. Um, it was the, it was rich and bold, but not bitter. And I definitely lean more towards the not bitter side on coffee. Mm-hmm. Not a huge fan of Starbucks coffee because it's usually so like yeah. I think it's you know, over roasted. They overdo over roasted and burned and and it I, I you know it's just I have to put so much sugar and I I don't put cream in my coffee unless I'm getting Starbucks and then I put cream. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, that was the best coffee I've ever had and I've always I've been on a quest ever since then to find like a really good. Uh, sort of variety of what I presume to be Kona coffee because where our hotel was was in Kona, uh-huh. so on the Big Island. Uh, and I've bought some estate coffees that are pretty good, but I still haven't found that like magic coffee that that we had there. Like uh-huh. I didn't put sugar in that coffee, which I put sugar in my coffee. I don't put cream, but I put sugar, and I didn't put sugar in that coffee. So it's it was amazing, sweet and bold and smooth. Yeah. <laughs> so what about uh, tobacco smoker? No, uh, I was and have been over the years. I, I've i come and gone from it, and I'm actually at the very end of doing uh, e-cigarettes to kind of keep from going back to real cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but California just added a bunch of new taxes to uh, tobacco and e-cigarettes, uh-huh. and it's cost prohibitive now. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's... I'm I'm hopefully on the last one <laughs> uh, that I that I'm going to do. I quit when I was 30. I quit for 11 years. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Regular cigarettes, uh-huh. and then just uh, different things going on in life sort of drove me back into it. And then it's been on and off for the last eight or nine years. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think one of the best decisions I ever made was uh, when was it? 1996. I want to say I quit smoking. And you might remember yeah. from back in the day that I was a pretty, pretty dedicated smoker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was, that was uh, a really there, good decision. Uh, I I didn't I it, I smoked on and off in college, uh, but but up until I was thirty, I would say I was a smoker. Yeah, and then for the last several years, although it's been it's been like almost three years now since I smoked regular cigarettes. Uh-huh. 
but like e-cigarettes and a couple of bouts of not having anything and then going back and now it's it's definitely not a good lifestyle choice. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. It's, uh, I remember when I quit. Well, I was I was an b- absolute bastard for like six months, but <laughs> after, oh, yeah. after after that, I was fine. But I you know, realized just a couple of days into it, wow, I walked around smelling like this all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man. The first time you quit, and and like I I told somebody this, I'm like, man, you get out of the shower, you know, and you smell clean, and yep. you're like, oh, this is great. You you stay smelling like that for a long time yeah, when you yeah. don't smoke. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> It's like it doesn't go away after 20 minutes. It's right. actually there for a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What about other drugs now that California's uh, uh, going to steal the weed crown from Colorado? <laughs> Colorado. I just saw a thing on the news that Las Vegas can't get enough weed to their weed stores. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and they had to change because they had a law that they could only uh, get weed distributed through alcohol distributors oh, that's just... and so they just they made an emergency change in the law to say that stores can go get their own weed um so they're eliminating that sort of middleman thing no i you know what uh marijuana has never been a thing for me i've i've certainly done my fair share of uh, experimenting with it but uh-huh. it either puts me to sleep or kind of makes me sick and when I when I quit drinking, I thought you know that might be an alternative for some of the anxiety that I have, uh-huh. but it's just so hit and miss for me. Like right. it could be like just a mess, and 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 so and nothing else, uh, nothing else has ever really appealed to me or or uh, been put into use. So. Uh-huh. I was alcohol was my drug of choice. And, and so it, you and said I you was, you quit drinking I was for how long? It. I quit drinking four and a half years ago. Okay. And like I said, I was really good at it at the end. So <laughs> that, that gives you an idea. That's... Um, but yeah, that's, that actually wasn't as hard to quit as I thought it was going to be. Uh-huh. Um, I think, I think at, at a certain point when somebody drinks like the way I did, which was pretty heavy, pretty regularly, uh-huh. you after a while, you really get tired of it, but you just don't think that you would go without it. Right. You know? Right. And, and once you kind of realize, man, this is cause like once you start drinking, everything else that you could do is gone. Right. Like, like after a few beers, I'm like, I don't want to play guitar cause I don't have the dexterity anymore and I can't go anywhere cause I'm not driving and right. I, uh, right. I can't really concentrate on any projects and like that all that time is just, you have a lot of leisure time, but it's, it's, not productive at all. Yeah, I so. think some people might feel that same way about uh, marijuana too. As far as uh, yeah, using it becomes a motivation, like the surest motivation killer. You know, so well, and and one of the uh, one of the themes of of my musical for my character is fear. And uh-huh. after after quitting drinking, I sort of went through a lot of sort of trying to be more self aware and and work through some things uh-huh. and and it made me realize how afraid I am of things and uh-huh. I know for myself alcohol was a really good way to make that fear didn't make the fear go away but, but it, it made, made it terrible or yeah it, right yeah you were right. like I'm afraid but who cares right um and and that's uh that's a big theme in the show uh is is that fear and I think a lot of people have that and and they set themselves up to 
sort of fail because like again one of the themes in the show is a fear of success which sounds right. weird but a lot of people deal with that especially creative people because yep. it's very fam- people very, very familiar to feeling to me for sure yeah and you think well if, if i don't give it a hundred percent and i fail i always have that excuse that but i didn't give it a hundred percent right yeah right right you have something to and fall it's back like a built on in. yeah right. whereas if you give it a hundred percent and you fail, you don't have any excuse. (laughs) You just didn't, it just didn't work. Yep. Um, and that's a weird, it's a weird thing that I've spent a lot of time thinking about over the last few years. But, um, yeah, no, my, my drug of choice right now mainly is, uh, dogs. That's, Uh, that's a very pretty healthy drug of choice. I would say being a dog owner myself. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I and I can't have one right now. I can't have a dog right now because I, I, live in Los Angeles and unless you're making a lot of money you really can't afford to live here uh super comfortably so i've got roommates right. uh and i live in a place where we can't have dogs uh-huh. i do have a cat so i have that little animal companionship but uh-huh. uh when i quit drinking i said i need something to occupy some time so i started volunteering at an animal shelter and and that has been a huge uh, sort of mood changer for me and it ended up leading to the job that i have now right. where i you know, about half my income comes from walking dogs and taking care of dogs. So, mm-hmm. um, actually, that is, we can segue a little bit now into the next uh, question I had is about like, do you have a regular exercise routine? So, you say you're walking uh, dogs quite a bit. So, how far is that, and how much exercise are you doing with that every day? Is that that's a daily kind of thing? It is a daily thing. Uh, it varies how much I actually walk. Some dogs I just need to go and hang out with. Uh, sometimes I'm walking them, playing with them in a yard. Sometimes I'm actually walking. If you look at my step counter, which I do occasionally, uh-huh. uh, on a day when I have a regular schedule of dogs, I'll usually average seven to 10,000 steps. Okay. Um, I'm not a huge exercise guy. I've been member of a gym multiple times, uh-huh. but I always really get tired of going to the gym. Uh-huh. Uh, as much as I like the, the actual process of exercising, I don't like the process of getting into the process of exercising. Right, right. And yeah. for a long time, uh, I was jogging, but my body really can't hey, take that anymore. And oh. <laughs> and now that I now that I get paid to walk dogs, I can't take the risk that I'm going to injure myself, which was a fairly frequent endeavor as I right, was jogging. Because right. you know you just you just hurt your knee and you limp for a couple of days. It's not like a serious injury, but. If I need to walk dogs, right. I can't be. Yeah, you're, you're messing limping. with your livelihood there for sure. Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, walking dogs has really been my main exercise. Just trying to stay moving uh, and eating healthy, like that. I don't want to discount the the exercise crowd, but uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of exercise to be to get what you need. You know, 20 minutes of cardiovascular right. exercise every day is is typically considered to be enough as long as everything else is in line. Uh-huh. And I have friends who drink to excess and then work out to excess to try to make up for the drinking to excess. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, I, I you know, I'm not going to criticize, but uh, seems kind of seems kind of like a pointless. Well, it just adds Quest. another step to your day. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> so, as far as, as far as diet, do you have a dietary ideology you adhere to, or like vegan, I, paleo? I, I don't know. Do um, 
when I when I came to Los Angeles the first time, I weighed about two seventy five. I okay. got pretty fat, uh, and I'm always I've always been a big guy. Like I'm not a little person. Uh-huh. I'm not particularly tall. I'm five eight, five nine on a good day, depending on the shoes I'm wearing. Uh-huh. But uh, I was I was about two seventy five, and when I came back to L.A., I was like, wow, I'm single. I can't be this fat anymore. Uh, and so I just started eating less. And for me, that was the biggest thing is like, I didn't ever eat bad cause I worked in restaurants. I know how to cook. Uh-huh. Um, I do like junk food, but, uh, it's not hard to stay away from it. Uh-huh. Uh, but I just tried to eat less, like stop eating when I was hungry. Uh, and then, uh, over the course of the last few years, I had sort of cut back on the amount of meat I was eating uh-huh. and, for a variety of reasons, but the sort of killer for me was I went back to Utah for my brother's wedding a couple of years ago. There was meat in every dish. <laughs> like There was meat in the vegetables. I mean, it was just, it was one of those sort of like realizations, like after eating like that for a week, I felt like crap for two weeks. Right. Uh, and so I cut out uh, most meat. I, I didn't want to take a full stance and say I'm strictly a vegan. I don't think I could ever give up cheese. That would be really hard. But um, I don't eat beef or chicken. Uh, I will eat fish. Okay. And and I'm not strict about it. Like the other day, my roommates had pizza and there was pepperoni on it. And I'm like, I'm going to eat the pepperoni. So, um, But for me, it's not just the diet, but also sort of the environmental impact of the meat industry right. uh, in this country is just ridiculous, which beyond saying I don't want to eat animals because i'm an animal lover and i don't want them to have to die it's also like man it's not good for us economically it's not good for us uh environmentally it's not good for a variety of reasons and eventually i think thinking as a futurist there's going to be a time where people stop eating meat because they have to um and for people who love meat i'm sorry when i say that but i think it's going to happen just because I don't think it can continue this way. Like factory farms and the uh, sort of industrialized meat industry is right. is crazy. And the more you look into it, the worse it is to look at. And right. I, I'm not one of those people who like post pictures and stuff on my Facebook, social media to try to change people's minds. But if somebody asks me, I'll say, look, it's it's bad. Just trust me. Right. It's bad. Um, and th- there's horror stories, but I'm not going to. Like I said, I'm not the guy who brings up the horror stories because I don't want to look at that stuff either. Uh-huh. But <laughs> it's it's really bad. Yeah. So there's there's if you have to eat meat at least, and I'm not a big fan of the organic process. But for meat, if you're going to eat meat, try to get like small farm organic stuff. Yeah. Um, because the big factory farms are just brutal. Yeah. So I'm mostly vegetarian. I guess technically the term would be pescatarian or okay, or right, right, dairy pescatarian. Right. I, I don't like the label so much because I really like – I don't have a limit. Like if I want something, I'll eat it, but um, I try to really limit – I think plant-based diet is the sort of – The way to go. We have the, the future. The term. It, it, it probably is, and it's uh, it's one of those things where people – the first question anybody asks when you say you're vegetarian is they go, where do you get your protein? And I'm like, where do you get your vitamin C? Like it's kind of a silly question, you know? Yeah. But it's a it's a common question. It's like, well, there's a lot of protein and a lot of vegetables, and it's it's not hard to get protein. You just have to pay attention to what you're eating. But you know, I I think the same time people ask that question, 
you know, it's like, do you just care about protein or do you want to know how much fat you're taking in? Do you need to know, you know, are you getting the proper vitamins? Are you eating the, are you taking multivitamins and eating them properly? Because multivitamins, if you just take them, they mostly just wash out. Right. But if you eat them with the right foods, you get the benefit. But if you're eating them with the right foods, just eat the right foods, you know? It's like you need right. vitamin A, eat a carrot. Right. So uh, uh, another question uh, just about your daily physical routine. Do you have a meditative practice? I don't, okay. and I've often thought I should, um, but I think for me, concentrating on a project is probably as close to meditation as I get. Okay. Um, yeah, getting in, and, the, in the flow, yeah, as they say. Uh, you know, like like my songwriting process is, I, I wouldn't recommend, like, this isn't one of those, here's what I do, you should do it too, because... I think it's a really bad process, but I wait until I'm inspired. But when I'm inspired, you get into that moment, and, and we all know how that moment feels. Right. And, and you're focused, and everything just kind of goes away. Uh, for me, that's probably as close to a meditative process as I have, although I've often thought I would like to. I've tried doing yoga a few times, but I, I don't have the physical space uh-huh. to do it, and, and I just can't bring myself to, like, go take a class. Uh-huh. So, uh, but it yoga has been very helpful. I'm as my back is starting to hurt a little bit from sitting in the same spot for f- without paying attention to how I was sitting. Right. right. <laughs> so, uh, um, let's. Uh, I want to move on to uh, those of you who are, are listening to section four. <laughs> I'm showing my notes again to the, yeah. to the imaginary camera. So, uh, <laughs> uh, how All I can see is a picture of you waving on your your uh, icon or your. Uh, Oh, you, you see me? Because I'm not. Well, no, the, no, no. It's oh, okay. just the picture that goes with your with your Skype. Oh, account. I gotcha, gotcha. It's a picture of you waving. So every gotcha. time I look over, it's like James <laughs> waving. <laughs> hey, maybe make a statue right. of that. Have a have a movable arm so you put me on a parade float or something. That would be cool. Make a little gif of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how and why did you get into music? Why don't you tell me about your earliest musical experience that you can that, remember? That is an easy one. It okay. was the Bay City Rollers. Okay. Saw them on um, TV or, or concert? Uh, on TV. Okay. Uh, you remember, I grew up in a small town in northern Utah. Uh, you, you grew up in Brigham City, right? Brigham City, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, Bay City Rollers on Saturday morning TV, and I okay. just became a fan. I had some friends that w- all played an instrument, and so I said, Mom, can I have a guitar? And it just went from there. And uh, how old were you when you started lessons? I took lessons right when I got the guitar, which I think I was like 13 or 14. Okay. Um, and I learned some, some basic stuff from a really old guy who meant well but didn't inspire me. Uh-huh. And and so I learned then from wanting to be in bands with friends, we just learned songs from whatever process we could. And, uh-huh. you know, you, you like somebody shows you a power chord and you go, oh, I can play all these songs now. That's awesome. Uh, it wasn't until I heard the band Triumph. Okay. That yeah, I, I remember those guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, oh, there's a lot more going on than power chords. This guy's doing finger style things. He's doing these jazz kind of things. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it made me want to be a student of guitar, which then led to going to, to Utah State. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike Christiansen actually, or no, it wasn't Mike. It was, uh, oh, who was the guy who came there now? I can't remember. He was a professor there, though, for most of the time I was there, and I'm sure you were there, too. But I can't remember who it was. Anyway. What did he teach? He came and, he came and did a, a presentation about the music department at Utah State. 
Larry and Smith, maybe? It wasn't Larry Smith. It okay. was it was uh, somebody who was more on the classical side or okay. the band side. Um, and yeah, like, geez, that was 30 years ago, right. so I'm not going to remember. <laughs> but um, he, uh, you know, I went up to him and I just said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about going to college. At the time, honestly, when I was 17, I really didn't know for sure if I was going to go to college or not. Uh-huh. I just knew I wanted to be a guitar player. And that was uh-huh. right in the heyday of hair metal in right, Los Angeles. Right. And I thought, maybe I'll just go to L.A. And it was a real legitimate thought process that I was kind of going back and forth with. Uh, and I asked him about, I said, do you know, are there, is there any kind of guitar stuff going on? And he goes, oh, we got this great teacher, Mike Christiansen. And he gave me some information and my mom saw it and went, you should go to college. Here's a way I can get Ron to go to college. Instead of going to LA, you can be a guitar student. Just make sure to take all the other classes. Too. Right, right. Uh, probably the smartest thing my mom did, this is in 1984, right before I graduated, was like, just try to take computer classes. Uh-huh. Now, if she would have known that after the after I washed out of the real computer classes, that all my computer stuff would have been music software computers, maybe she wouldn't have been so excited about <laughs> it. I don't know. But um, I ended up being kind of a computer geek after all of that, uh-huh. just you know, building my own computers for recording and stuff uh-huh. uh, over the years. But... That was what got me started was first the Bay City Rollers made me want to pick up a guitar. Then Triumph made me want to actually become a student of guitar. Uh-huh. And then college kind of opened all those doors, yep. um, you know, of like how big of a deal. And I'm still a huge fan, even though I'm not really involved in teaching anymore. But I'm a huge fan of the whole music education and working for Alfred opened up a whole bunch of thought process there as well because that was really Alfred's main focus. Uh Uh, For the first few years I was there, they didn't have any pop music. So they didn't have sheet music for pop songs. It was just all the learning methods Uh for everything, band music and orchestra and and piano, guitar, ukulele, like the whole nine yards. Uh Uh, I'm a huge advocate of... of, uh, of music education. Nothing irritates me more than when someone says I'm self-taught because it's really hard to be completely self-taught. You know, you you may be self-guided, but you're learning from the people that you listen to the music and the people that you play with. Maybe you don't have the traditional formal uh, music education, but um, it's, it's out there. And, And when somebody embraces it, when I've had students who embraced it, it's really rewarding to watch somebody go yeah, through that. Sure. They start making sure. the connecting the dots and and they start figuring stuff out and they go, oh, I just realized that this is the same as this. And you're like, yeah, that's awesome. So, so. speaking of music education, who would you say is uh, your most influential teacher or the first person who pops into your head? And as a bonus to this, um, am I doing as, as well as you do with your trivia, asking these questions or probably not? But <laughs> anyway, what's the most important lesson you learned from that person? Um, the, the first person who really taught me anything was this guy, Kelly Roundtree, who uh, was like a kid a few years older than us. He introduced us before we were ready for it to Jeff Beck. Okay. Um, and me and this other kid were just like, I don't get this. This is weird. Now, of course, I'm as a uh, further down the road, Jeff Beck is like, my favorite, I, like when people ask me who my favorite guitar player is, I don't even think of Jeff Beck because he's kind of on a different level to me. To me, so it's more more um, of a musician than a 
Yeah, well, it's, it's just it's a guitar just, player. I, I think he's quite possibly an alien or perhaps some <laughs> sort of demigod. Like he does things that I just I even though I can play the same notes, I can't understand where it comes from. So, uh-huh. uh, but. Kelly was the guy who sort of introduced us to playing and showed us power chords and stuff like that. Okay. And then, really, Mike Christiansen was the only other really ongoing teacher I ever had. Uh-huh. Um, but I think uh, some of the, one of the key things that I ever learned was from Larry Smith. In uh, I talk about him to you because you know who he is, but he uh-huh. was the uh, jazz kind of guy at Utah State, and right, also the yeah. the, the theory sort of guy. beginning yeah. theory guy. Um, and I remember he came up to us one time and said to the guitar players, "You you may have even been there when he said this, or he said it to you." And we were talking about some of the Neapolitan sixth chords, and he looks at him and he says, "You guys realize these are just like this is a minor seven flat five. Oh right, yep. yeah, and I, and and it was like yep. this bell went off, yep. and." Uh, I don't know if we were the same there at the same time, but I remember him saying something similar, hearing something similar from him, and yeah. and exactly that same reaction. It's like, whoa, oh. wait a minute, everything connects together now. So it's not like like we're not talking about Neapolitan six or or whatever, and we're talking about that being only a classical thing. This right. is something that happens across the board throughout music. It was, yeah, it was a big, big uh, realization for me for sure. I think my biggest realization, I really don't, I can't tell you where it came from. I think it came from just an amalgamation. That was probably a key moment in putting it all together. Uh-huh. But the realization that music theory isn't a set of rules. It's, right, it's more of an observation it, of what they it's do. It's an observation, yeah. It's, it's, it's an explanation for why something sounds the way it does. Yeah. And once I started thinking that way, it kind of changed how I looked at all of that and made it a lot easier to learn because I wasn't it wasn't like math to me and I know everybody always says music is math but it's not the explanation of music is mathematical the theory is the explanation all of that I think is mathematical in a, in a sense uh-huh. but music is 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 not purely from itself is math it's and math really if you think about it math is an explanation for everything right you know it doesn't start with numbers in a formula it starts with how do we get this shape to stay in this shape kind of stuff or whatever uh and so for me that was my biggest sort of educational sort of aha moment was you know music theory is is an explanation and once i realized that it sort of opened things up and i think any composer creative type if you get constrained too much with the details of well, I'm in the key of C, so I really can't have a B flat chord in here. Uh-huh. You know, once once that kind of goes away, and you go, well, this sounds good, and and if I want to find a reason why it works, I can through theory. But right. at the end of the day, it sounds good, and that's right. what I want. Right. So, so was there a? Was, um, I'm sorry, that was that. No, I was just saying that was that was that. Okay, was there a moment uh, that you realized, uh, like an "I got this" moment? Where when, as a student of music, you thought, well, you know, I can do this. I can actually become a musician. I, I can manipulate, you know, the materials of music the way I want. I, I don't know if there was a moment in particular. I think it came a lot through uh, sort of reinforcement from various uh, professors and peers. Okay. Like, I remember uh, Dean, what was his name? Dean Madsen. Dean Madsen, yeah. yeah. I remember him. Um 
came up to me one time and said, the guitar player is always in the, because in music theory classes, you remember we had to write a composition right. based on whatever we'd been studying right. yeah, in that period that. of time. And he said, the music or the guitar players always seem to come up with very musical uh, compositions, more so than some of the other more traditional players who come up with studies. Um, you know, it's like it's a study of chordal harmony, whereas guitar players kind of actually put something together and make a make a song. Right. And and then I remember early on uh, Larry Smith saying, I, I like the way you play. I wish you had more sort of, you know, I wish you were a better reader and, and understood what you were doing a little more. But what you do sounds good. Uh-huh. Um, and and just most of the time that I was in school, that progression, each time I would get a little reinforcement, it kind of was a gradual thing. I don't know if there was really a moment where I went, oh, I got this. Uh-huh. Um, as much as like over time at some point, I looked back and went, I didn't realize I got this, but somewhere along the way I did. Yeah, I, um, feel, I feel like uh, if I'm going to have the moment, it might happen 10 years down the road from now. <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I don't know. That that's I definitely feel like I don't got it, and the more I know, the more I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, and you get little ones too. Like yeah, yep. when you sent me the the music for uh, the cantata, uh-huh. I, I looked at it for about fifteen seconds, and I went, "What am I supposed to do with this?" <laughs> and then I stopped, and I went, "Okay, I have an education. I know how to do this." And I worked it out. I started out reading it in first position, and then I went, "Clearly, that's not going to work." Then I then I tried. I think I tried fourth position, maybe, uh, and eventually yeah. I ended up in uh, eighth position, uh-huh. playing it like a, a C natural minor scale. Yep, yep. At you know, and once I got it into a place where I was comfortable, by then I kind of knew the melody and was able to put it together yep. and make it fit under my fingers. Yep. And I went, oh. And at the end of that process, then I went, okay, I can play the the melody now. Now I need to turn it into something, and I thought, you know, I had listened to a couple of the compositions of of that on your podcast uh-huh. to get an idea of of what I could do, and I'm like, well, this is I'm a power pop guy, so yeah, how would this sound as a power take, pop take song? And, take it and bend it however you want, which I think yeah. is. And I actually took music. You, you had the chord symbols written in with with like some uh, you know the bass, bass notes yeah, and the things. Bass line. And I, I started playing with those, and it started to make a little bit of sense as like a kind of a little power pop ditty and a yeah. um, couple of variations on the rhythm. All the notes are there. The rhythm's a little I, – I fudged a little with the rhythms. I know. It's but, perfect. Uh, it's perfect. It's... Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, a moment like that is is an aha, aha moment. Mm. Uh, and, and I think the longer you do it, you may just get the little ones here and there, but they're very relevant because there there was certainly times in my life where I would have looked at that and just been completely lost. <laughs> right. And 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 I've spent a lot of time in the last uh, six months uh, looking at sheet music and staffs and uh-huh. and and not reading guitar per se, but like looking at the staff and 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 starting to think in that process right. again. Yeah. Uh, which was which was good that. I was able to, fortunately, it was easy and short enough that it, it didn't uh, cause me any problems. But the fact that I could just pull that little thing off quickly was another one of those aha moments. It's like, yeah, oh, that's, that's, look at that. I can good. do that. Yeah, Cool. 
All right, so I'm going to put this up to the camera now. So we're at section five. Do you like how organized I am? I mean, yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's uh, It's been really helpful for me to have sort of a, a roadmap at least. So I, we have a little bit of direction. But anyway, this section is called Desert Island Questions because oh, okay. I don't know what else to what else to call it. It's stupid because none of the – we're not all the questions – relate to being on a desert island specifically. But anyway, so if you could learn one instrument you don't already play, what would that be? Obviously, as a, as a musician who's been around for a while, you, you come across a lot of instruments that you think it'd be cool to play. I've always yeah, wanted in to fact, play violin. I'm, in fact, I, I've, I've been, in the past couple of years, that's been sort of my project too. I, yeah. I play violin, mandolin, ukulele, sing yeah, a little yeah. bit. You know, I, I've just been. It, it's sort of, and, and actually, I've put my get a lot, a couple of my guitars in new standard tuning, so I can read cello music and viola music and mm. uh, and so on at pitch. So that's so I I'm sort of I'm liking the idea of being new with something, you know, as opposed to, yeah. uh, it's, it's like, I don't know, falling in love, the initial stages of falling in love rather than there's a deeper love for classical guitar, but I've been playing that for so long that, you know, it's kind of, yeah, nice you want to, a new you challenge. Wanna, yeah. And, and I, w I would say if I had to pick just one, it, it would absolutely be bagpipes. Bagpipes. Seriously. Yeah. And I, okay. I, I had a friend who worked at Alfred Music who was a bagpipes guy. Like he uh -huh. was one of those guys that would play for funerals and okay. weddings. Uh, you know, uh -huh. St. Patrick's Day he was booked all day long, <laughs> and and we all he and he uh, sort of taught lessons to two or three of us who went and bought the practice canters. Uh -huh. um, it was never something where I really like the problem with a bagpipe is that. It's an expensive instrument, right? And and the practice canter isn't much fun. It's like a recorder, except it's double reed. So uh -huh. you know, it's double reed instruments are a pain. Yeah, because there's that learning curve just to get them to sound like an instrument. Yeah, you one know, of it's, my, my it's duo not, partners for a long time. We have a guitar oboe duo that uh, we haven't done anything recently because she has you know little young kids now. But um, mm -hmm. for a long time, it was a guitar and oboe. I was just amazed by. I don't know the sheer athleticism of being able to, yeah, push that much air through the instrument, you know. And sometimes we'd be playing, and you know, in between a phrase, I'd look over and she'd be like, I don't know, feel. I, I felt like she was going to pass out or something. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, this is this is a professional double reed player too. So. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean that that would be sort of the if I could pick one. Uh -huh. I did sort of learn to play drums okay. well enough. Some of my demos I've been able to play drums on. I don't have space for a drum kit now, so I've probably lost most of those skills. Uh -huh. But to actually play drums well enough to record, I don't know if I'd trust myself playing in a band because recording you can always stop and start over. Right, but, but yeah, the band um, you have to be you have to be the person everybody. Yeah, but that's on. a very satisfying instrument to play, which uh, is sure. evidenced by whenever you play in a bar. And somebody is drunk and wants to get on stage, they always head straight for the drum kit. <laughs> right. You know, everybody wants to be a drummer. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. I remember my, my kid, uh, when he was one, uh, had the opportunity to sit down in front of a, a, a big kit that his, his cousin had. And he was, uh, you know, as soon as he took the stick and hit a cymbal, eyes lit up. It's like, yeah, oh, it it's, like, there's something about banging on drums. Yeah, so sure. it's very, I don't know, visceral or something. 
Yeah. That's 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 when I could picture myself eventually getting back. Uh-huh. I probably won't ever learn to play the bagpipes, <laughs> but uh, I could certainly see myself getting the drum kit back. And obviously, you know, all the guitar derivatives I've meddled with a little bit, but right. So how about uh, here's another de- desert island question? A desert island recording. So, and the 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 kids nowadays don't even think in terms of albums, but I'm sure you might be thinking in terms of an album. Yeah, and that's that's one of those questions that gets a lot of thought, and you have a different answer probably every six months. Oh, sure, sure. Um, I would, my first one would probably be uh, one of my favorite uh, bands is a sort of neo-progressive rock band called Marillion, okay. which most people have never heard of, and that's fine. They're, they're sort of, they're sort of a, a B plus level band in England and Europe, but nobody's really ever heard of them here. When were they really um, active, or are they still active? Well, they uh, they kind of had their peak of popularity in the mid to late eighties. Okay, uh, they had a song called Kaylee, which was kind of a hit in eighty five. Okay, which is when I got introduced to them. And the album that Kaylee is on is a it's very much a concept album in the in the style of like a Pink Floyd The Wall. Okay, kind of uh, like it's a story. It's it's one song. On in that in those days there was it was records, uh, so you had two songs, side one and side two. Right. But it was a, you know the songs all went together. And uh, as far as like uh, a songwriting standard to me, that's something I've always aspired to and could never do. Is that like really well thought out complex progressive rock music like my sensibilities as a writer are very much in the pop world so uh-huh. um but that would probably be the the safest answer that will almost always be like a top three okay for me is that album misplaced childhood by marillion okay what about a desert island score maybe that that uh, not being a classical musician that might not necessarily apply to you or maybe maybe so but uh a score of music, or if you want to answer it a different way, what would be, um, let's say, a recording that serves to you as a textbook of examples for the way to do it? Well, I, you know, whether or not I could read it, Paganini's Caprices are a lot of fun to look at. Okay, okay. Um, and especially, like, the one that all the guitar players learned after Steve Vai played it, which I think is... Think it's number twenty four, but I'm not positive. I'd have, um, to, I'd have to. I'm not sure if it, that's it the, the number that sticks in, um, out. But did he do it in like um, the movie Crossroads or something? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that's nine. Actually, being a classical guy, I'm pretty sure it's nine, not twenty four. Anyway, that those are fun to look at. Yeah, for sure. I don't spend a lot of time, obviously, reading music. So. Um, but you know, where, where I have spent, uh, some time recently, I was in an Eagles tribute band and the, the, uh, guitar and vocal transcriptions for the Eagles greatest hits. Okay. That's some pretty interesting stuff Um, and, and learning their songs made me realize how much more accomplished they were than we all realized. Cause you just listen to it and you're used to hearing it and you go, oh, that's great. And then you look at it and you go, wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? Right, yeah, lots of there's lots of There's good like stuff. these vocal parts, and I don't even know how anybody's singing that note, and there it is, I can hear it, but that's like, oh, wow, that's way up there, and this chord change happens here, and they changed keys, and I didn't even know. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that that would maybe be, be one, because that was, I actually really enjoyed looking at what they were doing 
in that case because listening to it, you're so used to hearing it, you don't think about it. Yeah, I just got into um, actually as a, result, as a result of this podcast. I'm in a duo now with uh, uh, the piano person at Regis, and we're doing transcript. We're not transcriptions; they are interpretations of classic rock albums. And we just uh, got through recording our interpretation of all the songs from the Game by Queen. Oh so, yeah, so I, I got, I've seen you talking about yeah, that that's, online. Yeah, that's uh, uh, what we just finished with. So I was uh, I spent a lot of time. You know, listening to that before we before we actually went into the the studio and put it together, and it was, yeah, it's like a sort of a textbook of of how it's done and all the different. Did you use uh, printed music for that, or were you doing most of that transcribing by ear kind of thing? It was sort of half and half. Um, she mainly used uh, Adriana mainly used trans uh, the the printed music as the basis. Mm-hmm. For what she was doing, and me, I was a little more analytical, and probably I should have used the the uh, printed music instead. But I actually sat down and wrote out like you know like a flow chart of each one of the the, the parts of the structure of the song and who's going to play what part and all that stuff. So that was kind of my prep. But she's she's more a, a reader. Although once we got yeah. got there and did it, I realized you know I should have actually had the score in front of me as well because it would have been a little bit faster yeah. <laughs> to put it together uh, than it was. After trying to learn the Eagles tunes, when somebody said, I've got the book with the full, all the full transcriptions, I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Give it to me. Yeah, Jeez. Yeah. It's killing me over here trying to figure out what they're doing sometimes. Yeah, it takes, it, it uh, cuts the time it takes yeah. to learn something by tenfold, I think. It's a it's, great, yeah. it's, I don't want to say it's a shortcut, but it's a great shortcut. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Because you know, I mean, years of teaching, you can, you can pick up by ear whatever anybody is playing if you have enough time, but right, yeah, sometimes but. in a, in a recording, especially like uh, queen or uh, I mean, queen, maybe not even so much. Cause that was a little more bare bones, you know, guitar. Although when you start talking about those harmonies, yeah, some of the harmonies solos, get pretty complex and, and everything. It, you, yeah. To try to pick out which part is which um, with the Eagles, there were so many guitars going on. Sometimes it was hard to tell which part was right. And then their was, vocal, their vocal harmonies as well. Yeah. Just, well, and Queen all. with the vocal harmonies too. I mean, that's Queen and the Eagles, Beach yeah. Boys. I mean, that's a yeah. hallmark of power pop is all the vocal stuff. Yeah. And learning and studying that and looking at it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and working with that and doing this project uh, with Adriana, I've sort of started to think of uh, the classic rock albums as being like today's classical music. You know. In in a lot of ways, in a lot of yeah. ways, you know. So, and, and then if you think of you know that album is uh, thirty seven years old, and you go back to the, some of the classic pop of the the sixties, you know that stuff's fifty years old, yeah, more. You know, it's so so it is in in a lot of ways uh, the classical music of our time, maybe. So, anyway, uh, yeah. how about a desert island book about music? You know, honestly, most of the books about music that I have had over the years have been either uh, textbooks or kind of uh, self-teaching books, you know, like how to write a song. Oh, sure. Well, if one of those would qualify, you know. I I can't point to one in particular because I'm, I'm kind of a... Even though I don't read as much as I would like to anymore, I'm still kind of a book junkie. Uh-huh. Um, 
I can't think of anything in particular, although I will say that as far as textbooks go, the textbook we used for 20th Century Music was probably my favorite one to uh, read. As a matter of fact, I had borrowed mine initially from uh, Steve Smith. Okay. And when I gave it back to him, like years later, I decided to go and look for my own copy, which that one was called uh, in a while. New was, Directions in Music was that? No, I think it was called uh, Forms in Twentieth Century Music or something like that. Okay, okay. Uh, it's it's actually on my bookcase, but I can't see it from where okay. I'm sitting. Uh, it was. Uh, I don't think they used it uh, much after after the class I was in because I remember they restructured the whole theory. Uh, track after uh-huh. after i got through it uh-huh. uh i think it was uh contemporary forms in classical music maybe okay. something like that okay uh it was it, but it was an interesting book because for me the 20th century music was was like okay this is really cool even though there is very little that i listen to of it right but it but, was all the, just uh, the ideas all the, of, of what the they're doing with the it. experimentation yeah. and and it, it was it was very much like them trying saying, we've done everything we can do. What else can we do? Right. And then you know right. you start having the music concrete and and tone rows and all that stuff that most of the time it it wasn't really that interesting to listen to by itself. Right. But, it's not not that compelling um, to. It's not something I would put on necessarily. No, but, but, but it, it started yeah. having a different purpose, like the the Philip Glass. Uh-huh. stuff koyaanisqatsi and yep. awakatsi and all that stuff like i i really enjoyed that but when i've gone back and said i'm going to listen to some Phil- it's philip glass right i'm not saying the wrong yeah philip name. that's philip glass yeah. for the koyaanisqatsi yeah. um is is but when i listen to it i'm like oh i now nah, i can listen to about 10 minutes yeah it's uh, kind of repetitive <laughs> yeah but but as a as a for its purpose it was very exciting so that that book I would probably choose that because that talked okay. about all of that. Okay. What about a general book? Doesn't have to be about music. My my favorite book is I I would have to say it's a book series. Um, big into fantasy and sci-fi for reading. So uh, okay. Terry Brooks the the Shannara, okay, series of books, sort of Shannara and all the like all the however many now twenty something there are in the okay. series. Okay. Um, I, I'm a big fan. Although I'll, I was never a big fan of reading, I read Lord of the Rings, but it was a little too meandering for me. Yeah, I uh, had the, the same Terry reaction Brooks to it. A lot more. <laughs> Terry Brooks was a very similar style, but it was okay. a lot more straightforward. Okay. How about uh, the most memorable concert you have attended? The first time I saw the uh, lead singer who used to be in that band, Marillion. Okay. Uh, his his name is Fish with an F. Okay, and that and, was a solo show by him. Yeah, it was a okay. solo show by him. The first time I saw him was in uh, Seattle. Okay. Uh, it was like '97, and it I had never seen, and I'd seen Van Halen. So mm-hmm. when I say this, it, it comes qualified with uh, with that. I'd never seen a frontman who had better control of his audience. Okay. Uh, it was almost like performance art, uh-huh. uh, even though it was really just very much rock and roll show. But he he entered the the concert. The band was playing, and he came in through the back of the room, uh-huh. flashlight, and and was going through the crowd, hitting people with the flashlight as he walked through. And everybody just kind of sat there and watched him, 
And then he did like a, there was Celtic dancing at one point where he came out and we were all doing like circle dancing and uh-huh. stuff. Uh, and he very much had the crowd like so much in control. At one point he put his hands up in the air and when you put your hands up in the air on stage, everybody starts clapping. And he's like, no, and everybody stopped. He just stood there with <laughs> hands in the air. And I was like, wow, I've never seen anybody control a crowd like this. Uh-huh. It was pretty amazing. That's cool. I also I also got to give a shout out though to the first time I saw a real jazz concert, uh, which was Alan Holdsworth, who we went to see, but then Chick Corea's Electric Band, okay. which boggled my mind. Uh-huh. I, I had never even conceived of that. It was early, early in my college years, and uh-huh. that was that was unreal. It kind of changed the way I thought about jazz. Uh-huh. How about the most memorable concert you performed in? I don't know if I can point to just one. Okay. I'd love to say my senior recital, but it was it was you know ridden. It had problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I remember a show. Probably the biggest show I ever played was actually uh, a New Year's Eve party at the uh, student center at okay. Utah State. Okay. Uh, one of the early bands I was in there, and it was such a huge crowd of people. Uh-huh. And we were just playing cover songs, but it it was like for. A fairly young player like myself at the age of 18, I think, Uh to be playing for what was probably 700 to 1,000 people all dancing and enjoying. Like that was, that's a very memorable Uh uh, one for sure. Cool. How about if you could hear one musician, living or dead? So it's your choice, whoever you could hear, it doesn't matter when they were born or whatever. The uh, I never got to see Jellyfish, and that's one of my favorite bands. Okay, and I've seen several of the guys who were in that band since then doing solo, but I never got to see them together. Also, like early, early Beach Boys would okay. be amazing to see. Okay, um, and and there's something to be said for going even further back and saying I'd love to see Mozart play. Right, you know, just to to get an idea of like. Because we we see the music, but I don't know how close. Nobody really knows for sure how close what he was wanting is to what we know now. And right. obviously, it's probably pretty close. But it'd be interesting to see like his take on, you know, some of his stuff. Right. As a player. Yeah, for sure. How about if you could have a conversation with one person, living or dead? That's a that's a different one. I. I met Rick Emmett, the guitar player for Triumph, okay. briefly. Um, to be honest, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Mike Christiansen, uh-huh. um, except that he's uh, he curses a lot more. And he's Canadian. And he's Canadian. <laughs> um, but I, I would I would love to talk to him about his process. Okay. Um, as a musician, as just like in general of a just a random person, I really can't think of anybody in particular uh, that jumps out at me okay. as much as that. Like, because Rick Emmett came from a rock and roll band that kind of started out like a little bit of a Led Zeppelin ripoff. They got compared to Rush, right? Uh, but his his approach to guitar was very, you know, uh, varied, and and to hear. To hear him talk about how he got that approach, uh-huh. I, I would find interesting because it inspired me to take that approach. Uh-huh. So I'd like to see if there's parallels. 
How about, oh, this is a, I don't know, red herring or something, but how about favorite cartoon character? Yeah, it's it's funny because like now there's cartoon, not cartoons, but like superheroes, comic books, all that stuff is out there everywhere. Uh -huh. And the ones that I was really into haven't really made it there. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, when I was a little kid, I was very much into Richie Rich comics and they made movies okay. and it, it didn't stick with me. But the superhero that I always liked was Shazam. Okay. Uh, which they, I think there may be a movie coming at some point. I keep hearing about that, but. Uh, Wasn't there a live action show back in the day that was on Saturday morning? Yeah. Shazam? Yeah. Yeah. Shazam, and it was, I mean, really, if you look back at it now, it's its creepy. <laughs> it's like this young kid who travels around the country with this old man in a Winnebago, and sometimes he turns into an adult. <laughs> it's a little weird, but that was, uh, that's just as a memory, that was, that was like my superhero guy, you know? Okay. Uh, and cartoon characters, I can't think of any other in particular. Okay. Okay, here's my last Desert Island question. Um, All right. What do you believe that other people think is crazy? What do I believe that other people think is crazy? Yep. Uh, it, it, probably this, the standard artisting of like, I was put here for whatever reason to make music, and that's the only thing that really drives me. Okay. And I've talked to a lot of people, and I try to wrap my head around one of my friends. Like, you remember Wally Barnum? Yep. Yeah. Um, Wally's one of those guys who had all the gifts, all the talent, the work ethic. He was like, to me, of all the people I knew, he was like that guy who just really had his business together. Right. And now he's got two daughters, and he's a mechanical engineer. He still plays. Uh -huh. And And to try to wrap my head around how he – does that and isn't crazy right you know and and so i'm sure the reverse is true you know from somebody else looking at me and i'm going yeah i gave up a pretty happy marriage and a life with some material uh accumulations right to live with two kind of weirdos in los angeles in a crappy apartment right uh so that i could play guitar yeah I'm I, sure that's probably crazy. Yeah, I, I think in in terms of just uh, some of my well, uh, not only Wally but some of my colleagues even in uh, graduate school, uh, you know, we're in the classical guitar program at CU, and some of them said, mm -hmm. "Okay, screw this, I'm going to become a, a systems analyst or go into information systems or, or whatever." You know, it's like you know, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can. Um, uh, have a, have the life that I think I want, you know. Yeah. Here here's another one that's a little more uh, entertaining. Uh, I think Hanson is a fantastic band. <laughs> well, I'll, I I'll have to go back and probably listen to think them. That's then. crazy. <laughs> no, they've they've those guys are talented and and uh, I mean people judge them from an album they made when they were all like preteens, right, but right. they've actually made some good pop music and. And I find a lot of value in good pop music. Well, I'll have to go back and revisit it then. I remember uh, they played at Regis uh, 10 years ago or something, and all the students were, are you freaking kidding me, Hanson? Hanson's going to play, yeah. I want to see Hanson. And uh, whatever. So, and I guess that would have been, 
I don't know, several years after they had the, their first debut album and that big hit. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they started as little, little kids yep. doing like, uh, you know, like three-part harmony singing. And yeah. they just grew up in music. Yeah. And I mean, the stuff they make is certainly wouldn't be considered, you know, world-changing music. It's, it's pop music for yeah. sure. But uh, it's got some good qualities. And yeah. uh, so there, there's a good – people think I'm crazy because I like Hanson. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm pointing this at the camera now. Uh, we're we're down to the wire. So just a couple other questions to wrap yeah. this up. Um, uh, first of all, what's your advice for somebody who's uh, thinking about going into music? Uh, well, I think there's there's two different approaches you could take to going into music, and it depends on how badly you want it. If your overwhelming drive is to make music then I, you know, it's, it's not a popular thing with a parent, but mm. you've got to give it everything you have. And the, uh, there's, there's, you, you see stuff like this all the time where they list all the things that don't require any talent, uh, you know, like being on time and, and, and being prepared and, uh -huh. and all of those kind of things that require zero talent. You have to have all of those things as well. And then you have to be a, you have to get yourself to a point where when you get an opportunity, you're able to act on it. Uh -huh. um, and, and then if you're thinking about going into music because it sounds like fun, then don't get too overwhelmed with it and just have fun with it. Uh -huh. Because if it's, if it's a hobby, and I used to tell my students this all the time, it's like, I mean, do you want to be a guitar player or do you want to have fun playing guitar? Because they're two different things. Right. And, and figure out which one it is because it's a lot easier if we know what we're doing to, to get you where you want to be. Right. Um, but I mean, like with any creative pursuit, like if you want to do it, you re you, you have to give it everything you have hmm. and you have to be prepared for a lot of, uh, disappointment and heartbreak because it's not an easy thing to, to make the focus of your life. Right. For sure. All right. One last question. So what is success? How would you define that? That's a tough one because everybody yeah. would define it differently. I yeah. mean, uh, I think for me, the first time I felt successful was uh, not too far out of high school. Uh, I, I had a band and we were playing a, a little show uh, in Brigham City, although I'm pretty sure I was into college by then. Uh, yeah, I was because I was playing with uh, the guys I was playing with. So, um, And one of my friends was in the audience singing along to a song that I wrote. Oh, cool. That's and and I was like, that's it. And obviously, you can expand that hundreds of times to a point where you have a thousand people or fifteen thousand people singing along to your song. Right. But but making that connection somewhere along the way is is probably the the easiest way to define success. But I mean, there's a million different definitions. You know, just writing a song that you are happy with mm -hmm. or get nailing down a piece of music that you've been working on to a point where you play it every time and it sounds good. Um, it, you could also say that finding a way to, to make music or whatever your creative pursuit is to make it the focus of your life without having to do other things uh -huh. would be some success too. But right. if you define it that way, you're going to be disappointed because it's, it's, well, it's legendarily hard. Yeah, it's ridiculously hard. 
being able to do what you want to do is probably the easiest way to say that because like the the trade-offs that you make in life to be able to do the things you want to do you have to be happy with right you know and if that means working a job you hate so you can do the other thing you know a lot of i know a lot of people who they wanted kids so bad that they're willing to do jobs that maybe really don't satisfy them but the trade-off is that they have a family they are you know can have a happy family home it's i mean that's not right. something i've ever aspired to but i can see how that is a success even if you know you go to work every day and you go eh, i hate this job but then right. you go home and you got your family that's a success right. too so being able to do what you want to do okay that's that's actually a pretty good pretty good way to boil it down i think all right yes. any any last uh, parting thoughts you might have not in particular, okay. Uh, I would I would point, uh, if I may, a little self promotion. Ronlin.com. Oh, absolutely. I'll I'll try to put uh, it up. Uh, yeah, R O N L Y N N E. Yeah, uh, that that's my homepage portal. It links to all my music in the show. So okay, I'll just put that out there. Cityofangles.org is the website for the show. Okay. But right now, it just it all goes to the same place. Okay. So. All right. Sounds great. Well, this yeah. is uh, The Musical Life with James Klein, and we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Thanks so much, Ron, for, for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for letting me ramble on about myself. That was fun. <laughs>